Today we're taking a look at Mark chapter 7. And I have to say in this one place, we have three of some of the most important core doctrines that Jesus preached during his ministry on earth. So let's go ahead and read the word together and then talk about them. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all of the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, And anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside of a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. And in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his present secret. In fact, as soon as as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all that they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, For such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside, Away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. 
Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up into heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephaphtha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, this passage is remarkable for a number of reasons. We'll start with the core ideas that are mentioned here that I I said at the beginning, and we'll, we'll come back to them. The first is that the traditions of man are not God's law. That's the first. The second is the point that Jesus makes that it is our hearts that make us unclean and not external factors that are uh, bombarding us from the, from the outside. <clears throat> the third is that Gentiles can indeed partake in the blessings and salvation of the new kingdom. So let's start with the first one, about the traditions of man. It's important as we take a step back here to realize what was going on in the first century with the Jewish community. Now, if you're a Christian or uh, you're on that path towards becoming a Christian, you're listening to this, you're probably familiar that there is a Bible with a New and an Old Testament. The Old Testament, for us today as Christians, was essentially the Bible for the Hebrews and Jews, um, uh, even up till today. Now, in that Old Testament, we have a set of laws handed down from God to Moses that we call the Mosaic Laws. Those laws had a root meaning behind them. Essentially, and a long story short, they helped us as human beings to understand that there is right from wrong, and that there is guidance from God in being obedient in serving Him. Those laws themselves represent core ideas about loving your neighbor and loving God as yourself. In fact, Jesus even says that all of the commandments can be boiled down to those two aspects. What was happening in the first century, though, was uh, the Jews were taking that essentially small set of laws and commandments handed down by Moses, and they were greatly expanding on them. So, for instance, in the Mosaic Law, the only rules about washing were really focused on the priests and their hand washing as as part of ceremonies uh, that were important for the priest to remain clean during, during these different rituals. Well, the Pharisees of the first century took some of that and they, and they ran wild with those rules. And they started to apply all of these traditions and rules completely outside of the scope of the Mosaic laws and their intentions. And they had rules for everything, how you went into a building, how you came out, how you washed your hands uh, before meals. Uh, it was, it was uh, many, many, many orders of magnitude more rules than are actually contained within the Mosaic Laws. The problem was that those traditions became the law for the Pharisees. And so they put those laws, their own traditions, on the same level as God's Mosaic Law. And that was a problem. Now, Jesus actually calls them out directly for this sin and calls it what it is. He right there blatantly says, these are not even God's laws. These are your traditions. These are your rules. They're not God's rules. 
And he makes the connection here between blindly following laws to appear righteous, when in fact that has nothing to do with righteousness. Righteousness comes from the inside, it comes from our hearts. This is the nucleus of doubt, of hate, of anger, of lust. It all comes from the inside. Yes, there might be external factors that we are bombarded with, but it's our hearts that choose whether to reject those external stimuli or to embrace them. Isaiah, correctly in the Old Testament, said this was going to happen. You're going to take what God is trying to help direct you towards righteousness, and you're going to use it as a tool to basically enforce your own traditions and your own rules. And you're going to forget all about why they even existed in the first place. And you get to the point of hypocrisy. Legalism and hypocrisy. Both are still rife today in religious communities, including the Christian community, where we tend to lose sight of the fact that it is our hearts and our faith and our trust in Jesus that God values most, and not our external adherence to rules and regulations and all of these traditions that we personally, quite frankly, have come up with. Now, the next piece here about honoring your father and mother, as a quick side note, if you were to ask 10 Jews in the first century, what are the most important commandments? Nine times out of 10, you would actually get the answer, it is to honor your father and mother. It was so important to the people of this time and place that they took care of their their parents, their aged parents, because remember, there is no welfare in this state. There's no social security. When you get old and you can't work anymore, and most people worked in physical labor jobs, you would starve to death unless someone helped take care of you. So it was very important to the Jews of this period to take care of their parents, and, and it was culturally accepted that they did so. Here's the problem. In that society, as wealth started to grow, and maybe you can start to see parallels here with the West today, that people started to disregard the need to help their parents. And um, if they didn't get along with their parents so well, maybe this was a great excuse. So here's what happened. A person who had two parents who were elderly could actually go to the priest or the local, uh, um, uh, in this case it would be a synagogue, uh, and, they would, and they would say, look, I am supposed to give my parents a certain donation to help keep them alive and feed them and house them, but I am going to, in my righteousness, donate that to God instead. Well, that had two effects. One, it completely burned their parents because now they were, they were in huge trouble. They would have to find a source of income and help from some other source, or they were literally going to starve uh, and be out on the streets. The second thing it did was help to prop up the religious institutions of the time. So now you're giving all this money to the temple, you're giving it to uh, your local synagogue, and in doing that, the, the people choosing to follow that path you know, looked more righteous in the eyes of their community. Look, bravo, you have given your money to the temple or to the synagogue. You're a very righteous man. And Jesus completely calls them out on it. He's like, how can you tell me I am doing something wrong when you are basically blasting your parents so that you can look righteous. And I'm going to tell you right now 
for the audience of this passage, they would have known exactly what Jesus was hitting them with, and they would have been furious about it. But he's right. He goes one step further, and he's, Jesus is trying to make the point here that it is your heart that matters, and not all that external, law-abiding, ritual-following stuff you're doing. He says, it's not the outside that makes you unclean when it goes in. It's what comes out. And he makes the analogy here that, look, and you know, for you biology people, uh, this is a very uh, understandable process. You eat food, it goes in, and then later it comes back out again. Right? It just passed through you. Food passes through you. But what Jesus is saying is the nucleus of evil and good to a certain degree comes from inside of your heart. Do you have a good heart or a bad heart? And that is where things like doubting God come from and hating your enemy and wanting to you know, have what your neighbor has, pride and lust and envy, they all come from inside. And you choose as a human being whether to control that and allow Jesus to change you or you just let it all just come out like vomit, essentially. Now, real quick, Jesus hits his disciples when they're like, what did that mean? He says, are you so dull? He did say this. And again, Jesus is A, not a hippie, <laughs> and B, he's very direct. But this has a parallel that we're about to get into, into the third uh, point I'm trying to make, which is that there is this sense of spiritual blindness and deafness that happens that we all need to um, be cured of. And again, in the New Testament, I would say most of Jesus' miracles are not only um, uh, helpful or regenerative, regenerate, uh, regeneration focused for human beings, you know, to heal them, to raise them back from the dead, what have you, but they're all tied to some kind of spiritual sickness. In this case, we see that he goes to um, you know, a man who is um, he's hard of hearing, he can't speak very well. That is a physical representation of spiritual, um, you know, essentially dullness. Not being able to see clearly, not being able to hear clearly. He's tying that back to his disciples saying, you know, what did that parable mean? I don't understand what you mean about your heart making you unclean. And that's the dull connection here. Now, the third point that we're going to make and this is important, is that Gentiles do indeed get to participate in this new kingdom. Now, if you're hearing this and you're like, what is a Gentile? A Gentile is quite simply not a Jew. A Gentile is anyone who is not a Jewish person. And remember, too, that for Jews, most of what makes a Jew in their identity a Jew is their heritage. They are, they are physically descended from someone who was Jewish. And of course, there were converts as well, but that was in the minority. Essentially, a community of people who believe in the, in the Mosaic laws and the Jewish identity, you're Jewish. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus' ministry first started with Jews. But if you're reading this passage, it's quite eye-opening because I ask three questions of anyone who is studying the Bible so that when you ask and answer these, you can interpret the text better. First is, who wrote it? Second is, who was it written to? And the third is, why was it written? If you're reading Mark chapter 7, first thing you realize is it is heavy in explaining Jewish law and customs and traditions. Well, 
that tells you something. That tells you that the author of this passage is probably a Jew or was a Jew before he became a Christian. Second is, who was it written to? Well, let's look at Mark uh, chapter 7, verse 3. The author goes to great length to explain what he is talking about with the washing of hands. The Pharisees and all of the Jews who do not eat unless they uh, wash their hands in the ceremonial washing, etc., etc. The audience for this passage is presumed to be non-Jewish. Gentile. In fact, uh, the, the author even goes on even later uh, to explain Korban. That's a, you know Aramaic saying of the period, which means that I am devoting my gift to God instead of my parents. Well, again, he explains what that means to the audience. That means the audience is probably Gentile. And finally, at the end, when he heals the man of his you know, physical um, uh, disability, he says ephaphtha, which is an Aramaic saying, and the author actually clarifies that means to be opened. So here we know the author is Jewish or, or has Jewish roots. Uh, the audience is, is Gentile. And why was this written? Why it was written is the third point that I talked about, that Gentiles can indeed partake in the blessings of the new kingdom. Here, Jesus is traveling to a non-Jewish region. Tyre is what is essentially today the country of Lebanon. It is the Phoenician Empire was centered in what we call Lebanon today, and there was these cities, uh, Sidon and Tyre. Um, If you go uh, further north, there's Damascus, that's Syria, right? This whole region was a Gentile, non-Jewish region, but he goes to that region, and he visits with this Syrio-Phoenician woman. Well, maybe she has some ties to Judaism. We're not sure because it seems as though the author doesn't call her out necessarily as the Greek, but says this woman came to them who was Greek and her daughter was suffering. So it seems as though Jesus is trying to make a connection here with the people of the region. There is no reason for him to do this unless he intends for his message to be for non-Jews as well. Now, I think a lot of people um, read this, this passage about the, about the crumbs and the dogs, and they're very confused by it. Let me, let me just explain it this way. <clears throat> First, I think there was probably more happening than is recorded in Mark. But I still think we get the essence. Jesus talking to another woman who may or may not be Jewish, and certainly talking about someone needing healing who was definitely not Jewish, they have this conversation about getting healed. Jesus is being asked to physically heal someone by exercising a demon. But what he's getting at is, can that girl who's suffering be saved? The saving part he's talking about is the saving that you would think of when I say you are saved as a Christian. That's what he's getting at. He's being asked, can I physically heal this girl by giving her this miracle. And Jesus' response is this, and he's kind of testing this woman to see what she will say. He says, first, let the children eat all they want. He is talking there about the Jews. The children, he's talking about about Jewish children, meaning I think that salvation should be for just the Jews. What do you think? But he's testing her here. He's testing her to see what she says. Because he goes, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. This is a 
reference to Gentiles. And I'm sorry if that rubs you the wrong way. Jesus is saying Gentiles are dogs, but he's testing her again. Obviously, he cares a great deal for us. What does the woman say? She says, yes, Lord, calling him Lord and Master. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. In that one statement, we interpret that as saying, this woman is acting humbly to say, yes, we acknowledge that Gentiles come second after the Jews for your message of renewal and this this new kingdom covenant, but they still matter. And I think if you were to ask any Jew of the period, they would have agreed with that. They would have said, yes, Jesus came first to preach his message to the Jews because that's who it was for first, but that's not where he's going to stop. By acting humbly, this woman has opened her heart to say, I acknowledge that there is a pecking order in the universe and that the Jews are indeed God's chosen people. But all people matter. And this woman makes the case that even though the Jews come first, the Gentiles should still come at some point and get some kind of benefit out of this new covenant blessing. And Jesus agrees with her. He says, yes, your heart is good. You acknowledge me as Lord and Master. You acknowledge that my saving uh, covenant was first for the Jews, but you also acknowledge that, yes, the Gentiles matter and they should receive it, and he heals the Greek woman's daughter. So right here in this passage, we have proof that Jesus now, and has always, we would say, acknowledged and believed that his salvation was for all people, not just one cultural race or religious race. It is from all people who believe that he is Lord and master of their lives. What a wonderful, wonderful message. And we we finish this off with, again, a connection from the spiritual dullness to the physical dullness. He crosses over again into the, remember from last, a few times ago, the Decapolis was a Gentile region across the Jordan. People are hearing about him and they're coming to him and bringing him sick and blind and deaf people, and Jesus heals this person. Thank you for joining us. Join us next time as we talk about Mark chapter 8.